This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Sale Sharks S&C coach, Kevin Mannion. He discusses his time with Wigan Warriors and how players like Andy Farrell set the culture for the club, some of his unique beliefs around player characteristics in rugby, as well as the process of preparing players ready for Premiership rugby. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. We are good to go. Kevin, thank you so much for spending uh, the early part of your Thursday morning with, with me. Um, before we get going, how are things your end? Are you all good? Yeah, all good. Good week this week. Managed to get out to British Judo yesterday for a bit of CPD and then quite a day today and then uh, end of the week tomorrow with a big game tomorrow night for the first team. So it's a good week. I, I, um, I've done a little bit with British Judo before when I say that I've had a couple of guests who have done and been down that pathway. One, I don't know if they discussed this, one of the fascinating bits for me was around their end of tournament um, training sessions that they do. Did they go into this with you or not? No, like, so basically, yes, they met everybody. So from performance director, coach, S&C. And like, there's, like, talking to some of the athletes around, like, what it looks like, what it is, and doing judo to be fit for judo, and finding other finding it difficult to find other ways to condition for judo because it is such a a, a difficult sport to to prep for mm. and, and things like that, especially returning from injury. And like, yeah, it was interesting because they love it. They they love it and they, they love the way that they do it. It's like they're so like up for it all the time. It's, it, it seemed like a really really good place to be. Yeah, it, and I agree with you. It's fascinating in terms of what they do. And you said the engagement on it, and it seems like a real family feel. The, the bit that I was going to mention there, which I thought was brilliant, is after a major tournament, everyone stays on for a couple of days and rolls together. All right. So at the end of the, the tournament, like the World Cup just gone, rather than everyone flying off once you're out or whatever, what they would then do is they would get all the teams, all the players in, and you would roll uh, and spend a day or two with, with people. And you would roll against maybe someone you've just lost against or some other high-end competition. And I thought that was such a fascinating principle in terms of... um you know, picking up the rub from some of those expert players. If you're someone who's got knocked out really early on and your ambition is to go and f- roll and fight against this guy, how do you go and do that? Well, actually, having an opportunity to go and train with them and pick their brains a little bit, I thought was amazing. Now, obviously, from speaking to Tom Reed on this, who was the person who brought it up to me, they don't tell them all the information, so you're yeah, not going to go awesome. and tell them everything. But I think the principle behind it of actually we're going to spend a bit of time best in class with best in class or, you know, those up and comers, I guess, sparring and boxing is similar of what the creme de la creme looks like. I think it's a real fascinating idea. And I'm always like, how could you do that in football? How could you, you I know in American football, they do training days. Is that something that we should do a little bit more of where you get into team training sessions or, or whatnot and get groups around one another so that forwards from, Tottenham go and speak to forwards from Brighton or, or whatever that looks like. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating idea. Well, like last year, well, the last 12 months, like the Rugby League World Cup was on last year and Australia trained at Carrington and they did, the boys did a joint warm-up session with the Australian Rugby League team 
when they were both in together. Uh, we've been down, this, the senior squad have been to Wigan and trained at Wigan, uh, mixing around with their players, not necessarily doing the same stuff, but like uh, that element of crossing over is massive because it shows, it gives people a perspective of what goes on in some, some other sport or some other team. But it also gives them some kind of like realistic self-perspective. It's how where do I sit in comparison to where the others are, and how do I how do I make myself better to compete at that level? Yeah, it's it's amazing because as you said, like having that self-awareness of piece of going, you know, I'm a big boy in union, but compared to some of these league players, maybe I'm not as robust going into contact as I thought, or. You know, I, I think the, the really interesting one that I've seen more and more now is the offloads coming into place in, in the union game, which is obviously a paramount part of league. Um, I wonder what, you know, meal times when you're going and having lunch, going, what what do you see? Like a Sonny Bill Williams, who was amazing at it, if you got the opportunity to sit down with him for a week because you're doing a bit of cross training and just picking his brains about what do you actually see when you're going into those contacts? How do you position your body or... Is there a particular last minute alteration that you do to allow you a better angle to do it? I think that might be where we're missing out on some gold of actually, although you're giving up a little bit, you're gaining a little bit back in terms of yeah, what, what you're going to get from your players having conversations with other people. I think I think at times it's that I wouldn't say secrecy element. It's that keeping some of your cards close to your chest around some of the things that you want to do. But actually, some of the core elements of every game, football, rugby, uh, cricket, are the, are the same. But the nuances that the player brings to it are what are what make them either elite, the best, however we want to frame them. And, and that's what, those are never going to change. I'm, in, in all fairness, I don't think I'm ever going to replicate Sonny Bill Williams because I don't think I've got the ability to make the offload. But his footwork to contact might be something I could consider to prolong my career to make my game better to advance me as as defences are getting quicker as they're setting earlier what can I do to give me greater opportunity to either make game line or bus game line as I'm playing and like those little bits are probably and that self-reflective piece is massive because I have to know my limitations but I also need to know what I can work on that I can use and utilise and I think that's probably where you're at there is there's loads of little bits across different sports that people can take into it's having that open-mindedness, and but also taking on board the ones you can and parking the ones that you can't because actually they'd be great, but in this context, potentially now, it's not right for me. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And it's um, I'm going to tell you about my business idea off air because I don't want anyone stealing it. It will take a little bit of funding, but it's something around this that I think would work really well. So, yeah, we'll talk about this bit off air. But I think, yeah, the limitations bit is a really interesting one. But even if it's a tiny bit of, as you said, footwork or body alignment or an idea of how how certain players interact with one another because of, that that you might be able to replicate. So like in football back in the day, it was big man, little man, wasn't it? Up the strikers and how do they incorporate that? So actually, is there replicable with your, you know, your fly off and scrum off in terms of the way that they work similar to someone else that might be able to, might be able to think. But I'm conscious that we've gone on a t- tangent already, which is all good. But uh, yeah, for, for people that uh, don't know you, haven't come across your work before, do you just want to give us a bit of an overview of, I guess, who you are and what you do from a day-to-day basis? So my name's uh, Kev Mannion. I am currently lead strength and conditioning coach for the academy. 
at Sale Sharks. I've been here uh, two and a half years. We run uh, a academy program from under 16 to under 18. Below that, we run a developing player program, which is starts like under 15s and under 15s into 16s. So we have a process that starts, doesn't start early, so it's not as early as football. It starts a lot later, starts around 15. We then carry on through to under 18s. Under 18s, we'll make a decision on players and then they'll progress through either into the senior environment or they'll move into universities, other clubs and, and other opportunities. Uh, prior to this, uh, spent five years at Gloucester, doing exactly the same. Before that, I was seven years at Leicester Tigers. So I've been doing literally the same job for the last 16 years. Uh, I spent around four years working for the LTA or British Tennis, as it's now called. I was based at University of Bath. When I first went there in 2004, there was only two high-performance centres. There was the University of Bath and there was Loughborough. So people may know Matt Little, who's worked with Andy Murray for the past 10, 12 years. He headed up the Bath uh, Loughborough programme. And I went to Bath with Simon Jones and Tito Vasquez and, and worked there. And then when they decentralized, uh, they centralized the system. I moved to Roehampton for twelve months, just filling the dots till they, they got that central run. And like the first place I went to, which uh, when I finished playing rugby in two thousand and one, was Wigan Warriors, and I worked there for three years. And I was like fortunate to be around some good coaches in terms of learning around people and and, and the fundamentals. So like Nigel Asser Jones, the late Mike Gregory, who was a, a rugby coach there. Uh, I was around some amazing players. So at that point, there Andy Farrell, Chris Radlinski, Adrian Lamb were still playing. It was it was at that point where that they were there were still the, the really good squad of players there, and it was just as it as a as a grounding for a first job as a strength and conditioning coach. I'm in awe because I'm a Wigan lad. Wow, but ultimately it was like to see what they did on a day to day basis, the intent they put into it, but also the way that the coaches work with them, I couldn't have had a better, I wouldn't say apprenticeship, I was there every day of the week, but I learned a lot in a short space of time. Is there anything um, that you look at now with, I guess, the, the massive experience that you've got that you realise made that group so successful? So successful Because as you said, that Wigan period was kind of, you know, one of their golden areas and the, the players that came through and the success that they had was really high end. So yeah, is there anything you look back now and you go, okay, that is a marker of why they had success or why the players coming through were so successful? I think in, in all honesty, it started, it was, it was across the whole club. So at that point, the, like the academy team, which I was working in and around, the players that were coming in, like, playing for Wigan is the be-all and end-all. If you come from Wigan or you come from at the outside of the area, it's, it's such a big thing. Like, it holds a responsibility and you you understand that when even as you come in as a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old. And the players that came in knew what they were walking into because people like Andy Farrell and Chris Radlinski had a presence. So they knew there were certain ways to behave, there were certain ways to train, the intent and the application had to be there. And I think the biggest... They were coming to that point where they went into a bit of a lull post post this period. It was that where the, the, the change of the guard, St. Helens and Bradford started to be on the rise and Wigan started to just, I wouldn't say fall off, but it was that where they went through a period of, of a rocky period before they came back up. 
but there was always, and the thing for me with it, there was always academy players in the first team. There was always young players coming through the system that were playing in the first team. So there was young Wigan lads playing for Wigan in front of 20, 15, 18, 20,000 people and everyone got behind them. And, and that was what set them apart from, at that point for me, the want to be a Wigan player was was what it, what it was like. And I think that's try, kind of what they're trying to create with Sale at the minute is establishing Northern roots, establishing a, a, a Northern grit behind it. And like in the last two weeks, I think there's been, and I, I, I'm nowhere sat in this, previous work from very good academy coaches and, and staff is 11 to 14 players in the last two weeks have been in the first team 23. That is giving a team and a club an underpinning, a cultural underpinning of people that know the system, want to work in the system, but also want to play for their club. And I think that's what probably set them apart, that kind of mentality. And did that come from... Um... Like the players, did that come from your fouls and people like that? Or did that come from the coaching staff of going, no, this is going to be our identity and we've got a couple of spearheads here that are going to be able to manage it within the dressing room. But from a, I guess, staffing perspective, this is what we want. So, you know, you guys in the academy area, make sure these lads are ready because we're going to give them a chance. So you've got to make sure that they're good to go for us. Well, when I first went there, Sean Wayne, who's the current England and Great Britain coach, was the academy under-18 coach who'd prop for Wigan in early 90s. He knew what he knew what was needed to get through. But we all, they also had, they also have very good players. One player that was pressing out of that system going into the first team has played over 350 games, Sean Lachlan, captain the team at 19 and 20 because he's, he was that good and he understood it. Like the, the, the role, the changing of the guard, was always smooth. And it is at the minute, if you watch them play now, they've got young players coming through all the time, young Wigan lads coming through, that that, that underpinning, that under cult, that cultural underpinning of young local players playing for your home team, generates that sense of pride from the fans and, and that's what supports and gets, gets, gets it going bigger, I think. I think we, towards the end of last season, the season we had, the run that we got to, selling out the AJ Bell for the, the semi-finals and, and things like that for home semis. Yeah, we did have some a, a smattering and, a, and, a, and a, a group of world-class players. But we also had a core of young Northern Academy players that wanted that were out there doing outstanding things on the pitch. I think it's a fascinating um like dynamic with that because I've heard of you know a couple of things in football as well with you know clubs moving on from managers that saying it doesn't resonate with the fans like the the way that they're speaking and the way that they're integrating people in it doesn't resonate with the fans and this this seems like one is probably the complete other end of the spectrum that actually really resonates with the fans it really resonates with what they want and you know as a Tottenham fan I've been long suffering for the last 33 years Uh, we haven't won a lot but what I've said to everyone before this season started is I just want to be able to enjoy watching them play and I haven't done that for the last five years I've kind of turned the TV on going well, I hope that we win, but I think it's highly likely that this is going to be a terrible game of football to watch. Whereas what I'm enjoying with the newish group now is there's an element of it feels like everyone wants to be there, number one. 
it feels like when you look at them, they want to be part of the group. And two, from a fan's perspective, like it's enjoyable to actually be there. It's enjoyable to watch. And I, I think what you're describing there and in, in the way I'm thinking is similar. It's like, it's easy for fans to put up with mistakes or things going wrong. If they can see a, a player um, that's been maybe through the academy, that's new to the game, that's trying to, you know, develop and hopefully become one of those club legends. Or it's easy to to put up with it when you can see that it means a lot to them. What they'll struggle with is when you've got a player that turns up as if you're doing them a favour by them being selected. So I think it's yeah. a fascinating, fascinating dynamic what you're talking about there because actually it's going back down to how you, as the group, make the fans feel, but also understanding responsibility that you have as you're coming through of you know, how we want to feel in this environment, which is then going to translate to the pitch and the fan. Well, it's like, there's, there's two bits on that. There was a, as a Tottenham fan, there was an interview with the new coach, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And uh, did you see the bit where he talked about players at that top end? There's very much, there is very little difference in what they are. But I've turned players down because I didn't want to come for the right reasons. Yeah, I've seen that and, and I couldn't and, agree with it more. And, and and that's exactly what you've just been talking to there. We're talking about there. But on the flip of it, like we've got we've got two very good young scrum hours in our senior squad, one called Rafi Quirk, who's injured at the minute, and, and Gus Ball. And last year there was a, a moment where London Irish could have scored in the last minute to win the game. And Rafi's gone on a diagonal arc, he's not even in the picture, catches the guy in the corner and puts him into touch, makes him knock on as he's going over. We've played two weeks ago. And Gus has come up with an absolute worldie of a tackle on the try line to get underneath the player to stop him grounding the ball and hold him up. They are both young local lads. It raises the, at that point the stadium goes crazy because it's it is actually the big moments. We might have been winning, we still don't want to concede a try. That tackle from Rafi saved the match and was losing. But actually, that's that is what it's like. It's that, that psychology and that mentality that kind of sets, that, that is up there at the top is, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I don't leave anything out on the pitch and, and, and actually save these moments are what set me apart at times because I want to be in this team. I think this leads us really nicely on to one of the first questions that I guess prepared you with. So when we're looking at characteristics that players going through your pathway need to have in order to... to make it to the top end what would you say those characteristics are I guess initially you can start on a you know a, a personal level or on a psychological level or tactical level whatever that may be but then I guess more specifically for you is physically what do they need to have to be able to compete at that very top level so I've 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 done a bit of thinking around this question because it's I think rugby union is in a is is a is probably one of the sports where it's difficult on why in a minute so you can't buy tall and you can't buy fast underpinning everything okay but if all of a sudden we have anything up to six foot ten locks but we also have five foot seven scrum halves so the characteristics are not like any other sport we also have 140 kilo plus props and 75 kilo scrum halves so the game is very, very diverse in its characteristics. We also have players that 
are able to do things that others can't. So for me, when we look at it as a framework, we have a framework linked to the academy, which is we would look for a creative attacker, a defensive warrior, a relentless athlete, and a best teammate. And there are there are attack, defense, athletic, and like social capital type psych sides. Within any of them, we're looking for a point of difference. Does a player have a point of difference? We've got a player in the first team called Aaron Reed, can run 10.4 metres per second, probably quicker. When I was at Gloucester, Lutri Samick was there, and we know how quick he is. People like George Ford, when he was in the academy at Leicester, his tactical understanding, his technical ability was point of difference. He was still a 16-year-old lad trying to develop. You've got Manu, who was in the same boat, who was a, a physical specimen, who was strong, powerful, and then built his technical and tactical on the back of where he was. So you, it sits across loads of layers. And my big fear with that question is, bigger, faster, stronger is always best. I'm not going to say that because I don't think it's necessarily correct. What I think we need to be considering is, one is robustness. The game is attritional. The game has certain physical limitations and demands to it. So we need to be physically robust, which that means we have to be strong. We have to be, in certain aspects, have have a suit of armour so that we've got uh, the ne the necessary uh, padding in the right areas so that if a 75 kilo scrum half makes a tackle on a 125 kilo ball, he can get up and then do his job of passing. He doesn't have to be the same as the other guy, but relative to who he is, he has to be strong and robust. And emotionally, there needs to be that cycle of that process where they can keep doing these things even when it gets difficult. I think the other bit as well is the adaptability, is how do we get these points of difference and make them amazing strengths? How do we make Aaron Reed or Lewis Reed quicker? How do we make it so that their footwork and agility is even better than what it is now? How do we make the prop who is at that weight his work capacity even more so he becomes a real nightmare, not just in the first 10 minutes, but in the last 10 minutes of the half? After he's done three repeat scrums, can he get up and carry effectively to get us out of our own 22? And I think when you're looking at the physical characteristics, without trying to palm off the answer, it's also contextual to the club and the style that they play. So if if you play our open running game, that will dictate at the bottom what you're kind of looking for in your players. I've seen academy teams where height's been something that they've looked at and they want bigger, taller, rangier players because that's they see that as being something that they will push through. So that's the way their senior squad is made up. Like, I don't think that potentially... We are that finite in what we're looking at. We are trying to identify what a point of difference is and try and make that excel and then build everything up around it so they can stand up, stand out at that level. Now, I know that might be a bit of a flaky answer, but I think for me, that's how we, we do it here now. No, it's not a flaky answer at all. And I think it, it's a really interesting um, challenge you have because you said the diversity within rugby in terms of expectations is huge I guess the question I have off the back of that which is when you're then looking to design a program to consider all those things how do you go around doing it because obviously you're probably not going to want to work uh we're not going to want all the same work for a 75 kilogram scrum half as you are a 120 kilogram prop so how do you actually go around designing a program that can cater for those super strengths and amplifying those or creating that robustness and 
um, you know, having the bare point of entry minimum criteria met to allow the players to actually be able to form and what they need. So what does that look like from, I guess, an actual designing point of view? So, like, at the minute, we probably only work, I probably only work at under 18 to maybe two distinct groups. And that is my front five and then my back rows and backs probably do something similar. Okay, now my front five is slightly different because what we found in the last few years is that we're getting a lot of transition from back row to now potentially front row. So there's a change in the the people that were potentially props at 16 are not necessarily the guys that are props at 19 because the characteristics that they show, there's more growth in other players to develop into that area. So you we find that if we're doing our front five programme, which is probably our props, hookers, second rows, it's a lot more hypertrophy-based. It's a lot more hip-dominant. It's a lot more... I also think, for myself, there's a thread of uh, reactive, like, plyometric-type work because there is that need to move the body mass quick. It's not just leave it. It's let's put it in there and keep that thread consistent. Uh but then they've also got things like line-out agility drills, which is specific to them, which is short, sharp. It might be a nine-meter grid with the ability to get to the front front lift, front jump first and then decelerate and get into a jump position. Our props will do specific scrum posture, specific neck isos in certain positions because they get put in those positions and get compromised. And we can't afford to start that too late because then it has a knock-on effect of, will, will they ever catch it up? So it's that little thread all the way through. Our backs and back rows, it's more a uh, strength power. So the exercises are slightly different. The range of plyos and things that they would do are slightly different. But also, the reps are lower because we're not trying to create as much mass in them. We're trying to keep them at the same. We don't need to really rush where they're at. When they come through, they'll come through. Not that we're rushing with the front five guys. It is more they need the padding in the areas. And I keep using the word padding because we have this debate around work, around functional weight, increasing body mass. I want to call it a suit of armour. I want. I don't want to talk about making players heavy because every time we talk about players have got to be heavier, granted they will do as they get older, you're only after big lads. You only want the biggest. There's, there is a necessity to have a, the ability to hold a scrum and do certain things but it's got to be functional and how we use it, not just put weight on for weight's sake. And, and that's a message that partly aligns to that first answer that I gave is somewhere I don't want to go down the, it's only about the biggest, because it's not. Listen, there's plenty of us that will be able to show people how to put a bit of weight on. So I, I don't think it's necessarily always about uh, that. It's about the way you do it. I think what what's fascinating, what you're talking about there is... Um, particularly with those those positions that are coming through in, in the front five, is how you're then making them ready for first-team rugby. And I this is a really poor layman's term, but I use it as man's man weight. Because if yeah. I look at someone at under 18s, and myself included, you although you can see, and I, I see it around the training ground with our boys, that they've got a frame that, that they're filling into. They're obviously doing work in the gym and whatnot. That when you then look at a 24, 25, 26 year old, the body just looks different. 
It looks yeah. thicker. It looks denser. It looks like it's heavier. Um, yeah. but it looks like you've probably set into that pattern and I, I call it man weight it's a really poor non-scientific explanation but that's the way that I, I kind of liken it for those younger players particularly in the front five I'd imagine that some of them in the shorter term might get exposure to first team rugby um, and they, they might would, lower down the levels okay so we never there's, there's I, I mean Bevan Rod who's placed for England is I think he's 21 or 22, and he's playing first-team rugby. Our under-19 prop, he's playing at National 2. Our under-20 prop, he's playing at National 1. Then there's a championship, then there's uh, first-team. So they're playing four divisions now. So this year, uh, we had a prop come in. Uh, Yorkshire, England under-18 international. Great kid, wanting to learn. And he... The Prem Cup was obviously going on, so because the World Cup was going on, there was like another competition going on. And he trained with the first team over the summer, got some got some real good exposure. And we managed to retain him back from going on loan for an extra few weeks to make sure he was physically in a better place rather than start at the start of what the National League season was. And that extra few weeks, spending time training here, doing his non-23, Picking up his guaranteed three or four way, three weight sessions a week, doing his scrum prep in the gym, but also getting his reps outside with the 19s and 20s that were equivalent and, and were tested. Has now actually now he's gone, has played four games in a row, and is actually able to work at that at that level. I'm not saying he's playing. I don't know whether he's performing at that level, but he's playing at that level and he's, and he's not and he's robust enough to cope with it. So it's a matter of like having the trust of the people around you to have those conversations go, give us a bit longer. And actually when they go, they'll go for potentially a longer time rather than go early and then run the risk of not being ready or, or right or prepared to go at that time, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think that's fascinating what you what you said around the, the loan system as well. Like football, there's obviously a really high loan system and they, they say about trying to get them into places to thing. And more often than not, it ends up being a, a less technical league that you're going into um, and it's to build character of getting elbows and getting kicked and yeah. all that type of stuff. But what's fascinating, what you're saying there, is is around the timing of when you're sending those players and it's actually going, listen, we need to make sure that they're they're capable of the demands of the game. And one of the ways we're going to be able to do that is by figuring out the demands of the game up and down the levels and going, right, this is the demands of the game that's suitable for him right now. We can send him, he can get exposure against men because he's going to be able to cope with it. Who manages that process? So we've got some really experienced academy staff above us like uh, that have done this for a while. And... The loan system for the t- we we're lucky to have some really really good local clubs in and around here that play in Championship National One National Two, uh, so Lim Preston, uh, Fylde, Sale FC, Sedgley, uh, Colsey. That's we've got a list like that, and the ability to have con- the guys to have conversations with them and get those boys out there is is, is great, but it's that balance of. Like in a normal working week, so Rob Simpson, who basically looks after the next group above me, which is like 19 to 20, 23, but he's got senior players in there. He sits with the guy that runs the academy, like transition group. And 
we, our big days are Tuesday and Thursday in the working week, but most lawn clubs will train Tuesday and Thursday. But if we need bodies on the floor, boys will train with us. But the caveat of that is the comms, comms then are, no, they can't go and train on Tuesday, but they can go and train on Thursday because we'll have these players back to train in the in the, in the senior session so they can go. So they, they get a really good exposure, but they don't go to loan. They get less of an exposure on the Thursday just do the weight, then go to loan and play Saturday. And the relationships are have to be dynamical like that because we have to service our first team first to make sure they're getting what they need in terms of their preparation for the weekend. But then the flip of it is we also need to manage the young players and embedding them in their loan clubs because these lo these loan clubs have got loads of players that have been there for a while. We don't expect them just to walk in the team. They've got to earn their rights and, and understand that how the, cl the clubs work and, and what, what, what that means for them. And that's part of that, that embedding process. So they can't just expect to walk straight in and play. Some will. Some will have to train for a week to then get a bench spot, to then maybe get a bench spot to get a starting spot. And we have to acknowledge that that's coming from the club as well because they want to keep their players as well for next year and the year after, which is probably slightly different to football. Not not too dissimilar. You'd be surprised. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic because as you said, you're trying to prepare them, but also you've got all those moving parts. And um, as you said, like when you can't dictate to a club. They've got players there that they're going to have, hopefully have long-term. So, and they want to win. So it's like, well, listen, yeah. if he's not going to help me win at the moment, I know you need him to develop, but he's not going to help me win. Is It is what it is. So I think that that's a really um, challenging dynamic that you have in terms of just managing what that progression and what that, that pathway looks like. In terms but, of... A... But, but, but the flip of it is, and I, I remember going to... Chelsea a long, long time ago, just for a, a day. And like they were talking about a player that was on loan, one that a young up and coming player. And he played 15 games on loan last season. And the aim was to go on loan this season and play 25. And the aim was to get back to back matches. So uh, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Because that's the nature of elite football. When you get to the top, if you're a top four team, you are play Saturday, play Champions League, play Saturday or Monday. And it's more about recovery. There's very little, and I don't mean this, I probably sound this wrong. There's very little development in the week. Your development times are taken in the off-season. In-season is about being fresh and prepared to play. And his learning when he went on loan was about what recovery preparedness was. For us, at this point, the game is the end point. Our week is the preparation, getting the necessary units training, strength training in, or or however S and C looks, the right nutrition, the right technical bits, and then the expression is the weekend. Yeah, which makes complete sense, as you said. The workloads are so different, but it's about managing yourself to get to that point with getting the work and stuff in. Around this, you you mentioned earlier about the around the robustness. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm acutely aware that there's going to be limited amount of full-on like defensive drills you can do with player versus player because you're not preparing them well for the weekend because you're going to pick up knocks and, and challenges so how do you prepare your players to be more robust um maybe like alongside those types of drills that are relatively infrequent or in the gym or, or what that looks like because it's a, I'd imagine a challenge to get their body ready 
for the for that contact, but it's a necessity of the game. You have to be able to yeah. do it for eighty minutes. I think uh, we probably train with a blend of touch, grab, shoulders on, without going live at times with our academy players. Uh, our physios are integrated into everything that we do. So uh, every every under eighteen player has individual bolt-ons based off their screening which are given to them at the start of the year, which is areas around key areas of the body where they need to work on, as well as the gym prep and as well as their SNC. That is self-led. We also have, with our under-17 group, which we only see once a week, the physio will lead gym prep for them. So it's more physio-led rather than athletically-led. Uh, that's basically around the fact that there's a, there's a reason why they're in that 17 group, which is like a transition holding. So they haven't gone straight up from 16s to 18s. There's something that we need to work on technically, physically or something like that. And and there we, we invest more in that with that group to make sure that they're able to play and show us what they can do. I think the nature of the way we prepare for training at times, uh, we don't just do running prep. We go and have piggyback races and wheelbarrow races and uh, bear crawls and scrum high holds and and make sure that when we do our preparation, it's related to the players and the ability to play different parts of the game rather than just we're going to get our run prep done because we can't just do one thing. You'd be surprised we see players once a week. We try and fit, trying to fit everything in doesn't work. So basically because we prep three weight sessions a week, one preparation will be a plyometric, one preparation will be a body awareness and one preparation will be bracing and holding. So the plyometrics will be done before the lower limb, the body awareness will be done before the upper limb and the bracing will be done for the total body. And that might be uh, scrum posture wall holds, which is like a, instead of doing a bird crawl, your arms are out extended against the wall. And I don't they differentiate between a scrum half and a fullback and a prop. Because at some point, they're going to be over a breakdown and they've got to be able to hold that shape. And if we don't do it, they won't go get used to doing it because they don't necessarily get it within the training session at that point. So every player gets a blanket cover of three different elements within the week that are expected to self-lead as part of that robust and speed. And I'm going to pick up on what you said there. You mentioned a couple of times around the self-leading aspect. Do the players go and do it themselves? And how have you got the culture of that? Because I know from experience that working with young adults, at times they can be boundary pushers and they can go, ah, I don't really see the benefit of that. And I remember listening to an interview with Terry Henry who said that at his younger age groups, he would just be able to run around and not be injured and wouldn't worry about like the care of himself. But then as he got 18 plus, he basically never played a week without an injury to realise how important it was that he actually did that time and stuff beyond the gym. So yeah, I guess, how have you gotten to the stage if they do self-lead, that they do it and they do it properly and it's not a half-assed, uh, I can say I've done it, they've seen me in the gym, I've been on my phone a little bit, it's fine. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to tell you now, I can't guarantee because I don't know. We don't have phones in the gym, apart from one for music. So, that, so we don't Snapchat and stuff in the gym. It's like, boys, your phone is for out of here. Your, program, your programs, are, I have a whiteboard. And on the whiteboard, everything's, everything is just documented out. And every Monday they come in. If you've got a game on Wednesday, this is your session. If you've got a game on Friday or Saturday, this is your session. 
the rest of the week looks like this. Bam, bam, bang. There's your prep. There's your list. There's your prep. We all get together at the start, come together so that instead of coming in dribs and drabs, two minutes at the start, where are we all at? Anything I need to know, bang. Then we go. And then they know what their prep is because we do it week after week. And it's just go away and do it. The nudge is, lads, the clock's running. To get the rest done, you need to crack on with this. Now, I'm never going to say that everyone does it all the time. But what I will say is, the ones that realise the importance of it are the ones that have been injured. And when they miss more, when they miss matches because they haven't done the necessary work, it becomes a bigger trigger to do it. Luke Carey, who um, used to work at Southampton, played for Bristol City for, for years, and he's now at Forest Green, assistant manager to Dave Horseman. He, he, I've heard, had a conversation with him, and he, he calls it natural consequences. Um, and he, he's a big one in like not having a punishment for not doing stuff. He goes, but a realisation will be when stuff like that happens, all of a sudden they start doing it. So if yeah. you get injured and you haven't done your prehab, guess what? It's a natural consequence that you're going to maybe then do it and you got injured because of this. And we're not going to guarantee you a spot back in the team because actually the person who come in who has done the prehab might be performing really well. So now all of a sudden you're not playing games when you were. And now all of a sudden when we start sending people over to the first team manager, the person that's done all this work, which has kept them fit and healthy and kept them in the game that's now performing well, the ones that get sent. So actually there's a natural consequence to not doing that work, which is you might be sabotaging your own opportunities further down the line to go and do, go and impress. I think we, we had, we had, we've had a couple of good cases in the last 12 months where we, uh, there's a young man that's, that's within our squad who, uh, utilized that an injury really, really well. And basically, had played last year at, at a lower body mass, had struggled with injuries in his upper limb around his shoulders, had, had injured his ankle, and had gone away over the summer. Our trainers over the summer uh, worked on his robustness, so he got given himself a suit of armour, he put some weight on. He'd also spent loads of time getting his ankle right, and at first, probably was just finding his feet, and now he's hitting his straps. We're going to make potential decisions on him after Christmas. There's another lad that had a that had a persistent ankle injury and it was on, off, on, off. So it'd be six weeks off, play for two weeks, and then something else. And, then, and over the last summer block, pulled back from training, spent more time doing his rehab on his ankle, a little niggly out on his shoulder. And it's so far played every game this season. But you have to but sometimes you have to go through that period. If you keep telling like I have a son of that age, so I I know what I'm contending with. I know when things have gone on. And it's like, at some point, you can't keep... Telling becomes white noise. You can educate. If they tell you it straight back in the same way you've told them, it's content. If they apply it, it's understanding. And that's where me, the differentiation comes, is like, I don't want you to tell me what I want to hear. I want you to tell me how you didn't manage to do it or how you managed to do it, but in a different way because you haven't got the necessary equipment at school. And then I can help you because then you've had an attempt at it. 
I like that phrase. I'm going to steal that one from you. And we say the best coaches are the best thieves. So I'm going to steal that one because, yeah, you, you get a lot of the mirroring back of your answers. And it's like, actually, everyone goes, how much do they actually understand that? But yeah, I think that's a really nice phrase to to uh, exemplify that. One, and again, I'm conscious of time, but one of the questions that um, I think this brings us on, brings us on to that we discussed previously was the the calendar for your boys is quite an interesting one because of the different, um, I guess, challenges they may face, and particularly at your top-end ones. So um, we discussed around them having school rugby, which is something that they might have been at a school since age 11 and now they're 18 and want to play. You've got your high-performance period for yourselves at Sale and going and playing academy rugby, and then you've potentially got your international rugby for those uh, players around it. So do you just want to discuss, I guess, what that calendar looks like and then describe to us, I guess, some of the challenges from a physical performance perspective that having that sort of calendar and having to work with cross organisations to actually get the get the boys to a stage where one, they're developing because they are still young, you want them to develop, but two, they're able to peak and perform at the times when schools or internationals or yourselves want them to. So, like, if you if you if you came as as at the end of your under 16 year, you're doing your GCSEs, there are two pathways. You go into the under 17s or you go into the under, you jump straight into under 18. So if you jump into the under 17s, you've got a year where we know we're going to take longer for you to come through. So your weights are different. So there are still more uh, that late arrivals normally go in through the 17s program. And if they uh, go quick, they jump into the 18s. But we, the weights are different. Technically, they're different. We're still teaching more. We're doing uh, a lot more higher volume just because we've got more time. Uh, they'll play at schools in that first block. So the, the year looks like preseason starts in June, uh, August. We'd normally get two academy fixtures at the end of August, which only has been around for the last two years. Uh, schools will look to start all around then. September to half term's a big block because there's school games. School Cup games, that would be national or county. Uh, then you get to half term and we get a little bit of respite. So we do a, a two or three day camp. Then they go back into a school block. Games start to decrease towards the first week in December. But those that are successful in the Cup, they'll still be midweek fixtures. Uh, by the time we get to December, that's when the academy block starts. Uh, and from December through to the end of February, that will be when our competitive fixtures are. Post that, the international season starts, so an England an England international from being an under-17 may go to South Africa at the start of August. So this year would have gone to South Africa in August 23. We chose not to play them in the first academy match and only play half a game in the second. They've then gone through the school system, number of games that they've played. And the schools have been really good this year, They're like, and they are good doing our patch. We have loads of dialogue with them, actually directs the rugby. We've had, I've had two this year where I've had an England under 18 conditioner and a school teacher in a room. And then I've had another one with an under 20 coach, under 18 coach, and in, a head of rugby at school and myself in the room talking about players and projecting them through to 2024 and what it might look like. And because the interaction is there, um, because everyone's part of the discussion rather than being told, it's really fluid. It's push and pull, give and take. What does it look like for the player and the player gets a choice in certain aspects of it because there could be cup finals or there could be cup semi-finals in them at the same time as other things. 
but the player's got to have the best experiences moving through in order to make sure they're able to promote themselves or, or get through. But to go back to the other bit, a very good player, if they went to South Africa in the summer, could play internationals in August, schools in September and to Christmas. Academy would be January to February. Internationals again, then do their A-levels, then come in for a senior pre-season on July the 1st. The management of that is the, the there is something called a, an England Academy player, which is some high potential players that, that we potentially can look at and consider. And we have different interactions around them and the number of minutes they play a year and, and bits like that. But actually, it's fluid. So we'll pull and push. We'll spin plays at different times. So quickly, if we play Saturday, we go lift Monday, lift Tuesday, lift Thursday. If we play Wednesday, we lift Friday, Saturday, Monday. If they play Wednesday, Saturday, depending on what they've done the week before, we'll determine what we do on a Monday. Most of the time, it would be a total body because we can't afford to fatigue them. I'm not saying that the level of rugby would be the highest it would be in the academy, but potentially because they are, and I'm missing inverted commas, the best player in that group, they will do more than other players in that team. They will work harder, potentially run faster. So they will potentially increase the demands. So we need to make sure they're able to cope with it. Now, all the time, you've got a development S&C programme that is underpinning everything. Some days, boys will do three. Some weeks, some, some weeks boys will do three. Some weeks, boys will do two. Some weeks, boys will do one. But it's making sure that, that one is the minimum dose of both elements to make sure they're able to just tick back in the week after. My only backfill of this, and this is something else I thought about, is S&C is not like maths or English. If you fall behind on school, you can cram, pick it up. You cram with S&C and think, I've got five, 10 days, I'm now going to do five sessions. You just induce more fatigue. Get back to consistency, be as consistent as possible on the same days if you can and you'll get the returns within three weeks. You'll get back to normality. Don't try and rush everything because you're only putting yourself at risk. And that was going to be my question around, you know, the flexibility of that um, is obviously challenging. I, I imagine the dialogue that you have to have around with the schools um, and England, if, if they're going to the national stuff, is interesting. How important is the information you're getting back and how do you get that information? Because I'd imagine not all schools are going to have like GPS devices to tell you level of intensity, the running metrics. Most of them probably won't have it. So nope. where, where are you getting that information from and how important is is that information to what you're then prescribing or is it going right I generically know it looks like this, so I'm going to play on the conservative side and this is what we're then going to do. So we take RPEs for our session when we're here and what that looks like. Uh, away from here, in all fairness, I try and have conversations with as many players as possible, not on computer or through platforms, on the huddle or anything. How are you feeling today? Where are you at? And that, if that takes me 10 minutes to get around the gym, and if I need to change them from lowers to uppers because the legs are still fatigued, or they come in and go, I'm tired today, I've been I've been trying to do a load of coursework, like bam, bam, bang. It's, I try and get to a point where I have so much dialogue with so many people. And it might not give me the right information. But do you know what? 
I'm going to put you in the best place possible to be able to go and have a good night's sleep and get up for ready for school tomorrow. Not, and the other thing as well is not for me and, and my mindset might be different. And it's, it'll sound wrong being an S&C coach. If they come in today at 40% and that's how they feel, if they lift at 100% at 40%, I've got enough from it. Because you know what? There's going to be another 160 opportunities within this next 12 months to still get something meaningful from it. I am not going to be beholden to one session with the fact that I've got, I've had two pieces of court work standing over the weekend. I've been up late cramming. I've been doing this. Put them first. And I'll deal with the rest. It goes back to the word you said a minute ago, which is consistency. Maybe it's the consistency of work over the intensity of work, um, which I think is a really nice tagline to finish on. So one last question I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to let you enjoy the rest of your day rather than talking to me, which is if I were to speak to the players about you, how would you hope they described you in three words and why? Fur, honest, don't know how to phrase the other one because it sits between probably like being a bit of an idiot, but also being really serious, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I I know what you mean. I'll use the word appropriate because I think you've got to know when you're going to, when you're going to put the pressure on and when you can lift it off and be that thing. So I think if, I think, I think if I'd like to think that I give them a fair chance to come up and tell me if something's wrong or they need to change something or they've got other things, they trust that we'll look, I'll do the right thing by them. Uh, I think they understand that I'd tell them some home truths when it was needed in terms of that's not enough, that's not good enough, but also that's really good when it is. And I think I don't want to be seen as uh, dictatorial, like you, you have to do this, but I also sit on the verge of not being completely autocratic and everyone chooses what they want to do. I'll have a laugh and a joke, but when we need to knuckle down, it's really it's it we're serious in the moment. So it's that kind of bouncing between Joker and and the and the and the culture setter and the and the mood, but also the teacher, the educator, get this right or you could get hurt. Awesome. Listen. Oh. Sorry, that's feedback there. Um, yeah, Kevin, listen, really appreciate your time. I think a, a really good conversation. We went a little bit off off um, brand from what we discussed earlier, but I think it gives a really nice insight into, you know, culture and environment creation and actually the adaptability and flexibility that's needed, um, particularly with those younger players. And, you know, we discussed about... Um, giving them the best opportunities and you said the best experience and actually just being dictated to all the time by an academy going you have to do this have to do that probably isn't that so the way that you're working to give them international experience if it's that or school plus yourselves I think is a real testament to to that so yeah thank you so much for your time and we'll catch up again soon cheers thanks a lot Mike
Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.